We are continuing our study in the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can open up to the book of 1 John. We'll also have the words up here. Um, 1 John is a letter written from the Apostle John, the, the disciple of Jesus, who was really in Jesus' inner circle, and he is writing to, like, everybody. It wasn't to just one church. It was writing to everybody in the area who were believing some false teachers, and the false teachers were spreading false doctrine or misinformation to, like, everybody. So he wrote 1 John to combat that. And in 1 John, in this letter, there's truth for us that we can live by. And so I believe God has a word for us today. So here, and as with 1 John, we are doing every verse of 1 John. So we go through, we cover every verse. So um, today we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So we're just covering three verses today, okay? So here is the passage for today. And then I'm going to have you guys answer a question, all right? Yes, good. The questions are too. Here's the verse. Do not love the what? Okay. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. So what I want us to do is take a few moments, um, and, and I want you guys to get in groups of people, like maybe just like around you, whoever you're with, uh, maybe next to you in groups of three or four, and answer this question. What do you think John means by the word world? Okay, Because to some people that read the Bible, they could be like, this is confusing because in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? And then, you know, so it says, that says in John 3.16, God loved the world. And then in 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. So, like, what is it? Right? Is it love the world? Don't love the world. <laughs> what, did you guys, what did you guys come up with for some answers of what do you think the world means? Yeah. Oh, that's very good. Like worldly possessions, that ta- anything that takes your focus off God. That's very good. Also, yeah. Okay. Like anybody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus? Yeah. Anybody else? Cool. Um, I give a couple working definitions, and in, in both, of, both of you guys are, are right, um, and it kind of fits into my working definition. But the word wor- uh, world, I almost said wordle. If any of you guys are wordle fans, you know, like me, I always have wordle. It's like the first thing I do when I wake up now is do wordle for the day. Um, I don't know why. Uh, so I think I'll have it up here. John three sixteen. the world means like people, like everybody. Um, I think it's the next verse, actually. Uh, in John three sixteen, it means like world means people, God's created beings, like everybody God created. And then in 1 John 2.15, the world means like the evil system that's totally under the grip of the devil. 
a world system, an evil system that's totally under the grip of the devil. Now, that might seem very extreme, but a lot of the answers I heard out there fit in with that, right? Like society, like the corruption we see around us in society would fall under the world. Um, and a couple of a verse later, it talks about, you know, what they said about it's just like possessions, like the desire for more and, and greed, sexual perversion, like all this stuff kind of like fits into like the world. But in the Bible talks about the world is like a system, and it's an evil system, not just the people in the world, but the, like it's a system, and it's controlled by who? Satan, the devil. And to some of us, this might be a surprise, and you're like, whoa, like where do you see that? Um, <clears throat> number one, anything you look at apart from God, any system or area that you look at apart from God is naturally evil, okay? Like, it's going to be evil in some way. I mean, we talked about greed, anything that opposes God, you know, sexual perversion. Um, it's a system that tries to drag you down, or like you said, take your focus off of God. And the goal of the world is to pull people away from God, they want to do whatever they can to get your focus off of God and t put your focus on the here and now. And that's why sometimes Christians are so tempted to live for this life, and they're holding on to this life in riches, money, power, anything else that involves this life, that their mind's not even on God in our eternal life, right? And so it's like, like you know, where's the, where's the balance in that? Um, how do we know the devil's in charge of the world? I brought up two verses. One of them is it we'll talk about later in 1 John. But in 1 John 5, 19, it says this. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Okay? So it's saying when we're out there in our workplaces maybe or we look at like what's going on in like the news or like in the political arenas. It's like this is all kind of operating under their ruler who is the devil, who's kind of like call, causing, calling the shots, I should say, and making things happen. And it's like it's having an acknowledgement that the th stuff around us is falling apart and, and not always good. And in John, the book of John, chapter 12, verse 31, it says, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. So even though we talk about, we sing about, Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. Like Satan is truly a defeated foe. He has no power. He's defeated. But during this time before Christ returns, he is given he's still like on a short leash and he still is calling the shots in the world. And that's until Jesus returns and judges the world and sets up his kingdom here on earth in the millennial reign. So Satan right now still is calling the shots, but it's mainly so we can evangelize to the people in the world and tell them about Jesus. Because when this time on earth and before, Jesus like before Jesus returns, this time we have on earth is so precious, and it's really the only time we could share Jesus with the lost. Does that make sense? And so it's kind of like Satan's on borrowed time, but he is defeated. Um, but it's knowing that he is in control of the world. So the world is against God, it's ruled by Satan, and it's a system designed to pull you away from God, okay? And so again, I'll read our main text again, and then we'll 
go into a couple points and break it down. Um, verse 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everyone, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. So the first point it, he makes is this. Do not love the world. We are not to love the world. So we are going to be in the world, right? We are not called to like quit our jobs and like not ever go out into the world. We're not called to live separate from the world, kind of like the Amish where we shut ourselves out from the world. Like in different parts of the Bible, it says we are to be in the world. We're just not supposed to be of the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but we're just not supposed to like fall in love with the world in all that it has to offer. So as Christians, we always have this balancing act of being in the world, around the world, but not falling in love with the world. And we all could probably identify what that looks like. And at some parts of all of us, we, have get, we get pulled into loving the world all the time, right? And it's something we always probably have to keep in check as Christians. And that's probably why we come together on Sunday morning is we're around other believers who have a common goal. It's not to get rich quick. It's not to build a better life here on earth. It's to think about heaven, celebrate Jesus, and, and remind ourselves that we're really living for that, not for this. Because everything we build here on earth is a sandcastle. And everything we build for eternity is like a permanent house built on a rock, right? And so it's okay. It's okay to invest for retirement. It's okay to have a house. It's okay to have a car. But if that's what your focus is on building, you're, you're focusing on building a sandcastle. And, you're, and to love that is empty. It's temporary. It's going to be gone like that. And so it's always balancing that devotion that we have. It's always making sure we don't idolize. We're not striving after. We're not loving. Um, the message translation says, love of the world squeezes out love for the Father in us. The more we love the world, the more that the love of the Father is going to be squeezed out. So the question for us today is like, where are our thoughts more? Is our thoughts on how we can get more money, how we can build a better lifestyle here on earth, or is our thoughts on how can we please God? How can we tell people about Jesus? How can we, I mean, yeah, this is all good and we should be doing our best to make sure we're taking care of things here, making sure we have food, water, shelter, clothing. But there is what we're really living for. And so it's asking us, like, what are you living for? And if somebody's devotion and desire is everything on the temporary, it's like the love, of, how can the love of God be in that person? And that's kind of what the point is today. Is like, you have to pick one. And Jesus even said that. He said, a man can't serve two masters. He's, either he's going to love money or he's going to love God. But you can't serve both. It's like, we have to choose. So we are always going to be lured into devotion to the world. And, and the devil himself is always going to be calling us to be distracted by things of this world. And we always have to keep that in check. So... So to help us better understand the question, in verse 16, the next verse, John goes into explaining what devotion to the world looks like. And so in verse 16, it says this. I think it's up here. Next verse. And I think they're up there training somebody new, too, like the middle school peeps. Yeah, Alex. Good job, Alex. You're awesome. 
Uh, so I say, oh, no, no, not that one. That is, is there one before that, guys, like First uh, John 2.16? Okay, there you go. Uh, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So when we talk about, like, what is the world, this, a lot of this is the world. And John explains it for us. He breaks it down into three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what is the lust of the flesh? I'm sure if we got in groups, we could all explain this and, and think of things or come up with ideas. But really, <clears throat> the lust of the flesh in its original language is exactly what it sounds like. It's the passions and desires of the flesh, right? Like, and what's our flesh? Like, it's physical cravings. <clears throat> physical cravings, physical pleasures, our flesh. What's examples? <clears throat> excuse me. What are examples of, of like, lust of the flesh? It's anything that your flesh desires, right? It is, uh, it could be sexual, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be food, it could be anything that our flesh desires and, um, <clears throat> and craves. <clears throat> so if we lack self-control, we slide into this perversion of like, I just want more, I want to feel good, and I don't care at what cost— I just want to feel good, and I want to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so here in the church, we always talk about this, but we teach that sex is designed to be within the context of marriage, all right? And so we believe that it's meant between uh, a husband and wife in the context of marriage, <clears throat> and that's what the Bible teaches is good. It's right. At its very core, sex is marriage. It's two becoming one. And so we're always going to teach sexual abstinence until marriage. But what does the world say when sexual abstinence gets brought up? You can't teach that. You can't teach that to kids because what is it saying? The lust of the flesh is something that cannot be controlled and kids are going to do it anyway. So it's pointless to teach that. And that's really what the world is teaching. And we talked about the world, the evil system, I mean, if you look in TV shows, if you look at what they're teaching in schools, they would say that teaching abstinence is like old school, outdated, impossible. Why? Because what they're saying is the lust of the flesh cannot be contained. And I'm here to tell us that the lust of the flesh can be contained. With God, anything's possible. And with God, we could, you know, we could abstain till we're married. Nicole and I dated for 10 months, I think 11 months. And we waited till we were married, and it wasn't easy. And people act like, well, you just may not had any desire. Like, the, the, the lust of the flesh was there. <laughs> but we prayed. We had, we had people around us. I had her dad that was making sure that we didn't stay out past midnight, you know? Like, <laughs> I remember her dad took me to Outback, and he's like, listen, it's going to be hard. You need to control yourself. And this could be a great testimony to, like, the churches that you're a pastor at and to your kids. And I could tell my kids, hey, it wasn't easy. We dated for 10, to, to, you know, 10, 11 months, and we waited. And it was important to us. And it's not, the lust of the flesh can be controlled. And if we're in the world and we believe what the world says, the world says, do not try to control that. And it's not true. And so we do have desires. On, uh, we do have control over all of those things. God would never have us do something that we couldn't do. Does that make sense? And so we, and how do we do it? 
How do we combat the desires of the flesh? In Galatians 5, 16, it says this. And I think that's the next verse that was up there. So Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's saying, if you as believers are walking in the Spirit, if you're praying with God, talking with God, if you are listening and consuming godly things and not just things that are opposed God, you will not gratify, like fill the, the, the lust of the flesh. And so we need to be walking in the Spirit, reading God's Word, praying, being with other believers. That's how we do it. It's important. And I'm telling you, like, watching things that are, like, if you look at the billboard, number one, the billboard top 100 songs, if you were to look at the top 10, they're mostly all about greed, sexual perversion, all of these things, right? So if that's what we're consuming our mind with, that's what we're going to start to fill our hearts with and believe. If you look at the top TV shows that are out right now, if all we're watching is like worldly shows, like worldly shows, like that evil system, like sexuality, perversion, pornography, it's all going to be in our hearts. And I believe that's not like walking in the Spirit. Like walking in our Spirit is filling our hearts and minds with things that are good, th things that are of God. And if we do that, that's how we could remain um, pure from the lust of the flesh. So what is, what's the second thing he talks about? He talks about the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is really a craving for everything we see. And we talk about lust of the eyes, it's talking about covetedness. You look at somebody else's situation and you say, I want that. I want that. It's like an unrelentless pursuit for more and more and more. Like, I want what they have. I want what they have. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, this has been a struggle at some point or another. Um, it's really a lack of contentment. It's lack of just being happy what God has given you. So each one of you here, for, the, for better or for worse, God has given you a situation. He's given you a house. He's given you food, shelter, clothing. And he's saying, child of God, I'm sustaining you every day. I've given you everything you need. And when you look to other people and say, I want that, I want that, I'm not content with what I have, we are spurning God's blessing over our lives. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying it's not bad. It's not always bad to say, hey, I want a bigger house or I want, like, those aren't bad, but it's, it's the covetedness. It's the lust of the eyes. Again, it's a bigger house, nicer car. I wish, I wish you know, just wanting more. People think, People will respect me if dot, dot, dot. I will truly have friends if dot, dot, dot. I will be able to be happy if I have dot, dot, dot. And so our eyes are always fixed on things. The world, the evil system that's controlling everything around us, ruled by Satan, I believe a lot of the ads we see on TV or hear on the radio are like influenced by the world, right? So what is it always telling us? You'll be happy if you have this product. And you're really not going to be happy until you have this product. And look at this. And, and they're always going to be alluring you. And, and all the ads are just going to show you what you need. And so we market ourselves to the world. So we know it's a sin to covet our neighbor's house, right? It's a sin to covet our neighbor's wife. And it's a sin to covet our neighbor's possessions. But the more time we spend on social media... All we are doing is staring at our neighbor's house and stuff. 
And I'm not telling you guys to like delete Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or Snapface or whatever you guys are on nowadays. I'm not telling you to do that. But I'm saying, for those of us that are in the social media world, you look at how much time we spend on Facebook. And what we're doing is just staring at other people's stuff. And for some people, it's a huge, huge struggle. Because you sit there, and then you look at summer, and you're like, wow, look at, they have a boat. Look at, they're out on the boat all summer. I wish I had a boat. Oh, look at, they're camping all the time. I wish I had a camper. Oh, look at their happy family sitting around a fire. I wish I had that. And we sit there and we get depressed. We get angry because really the lust of the eyes has caused us to like, I want more. And that's what the world is going to do is telling you, you need more, you need more, you need more. Never to be content. Our whole economy in America is built on you not being content with what you have. Do you guys realize that? If everybody on earth said, I'm happy with what I have, I don't need any more, like our economy would probably collapse. <laughs> we would have no use for credit cards. We'd have no use for new things because the things that you have will probably last you another 10 years. You just don't think it. Yeah. Do you take care of what you have better because you like it? <laughs> our economy is built on people that are have this relentless pursuit for more. And that's why the household consumer debt right now is the highest it's ever been. The credit card debt in America is the highest it's ever been per household because people just charge it and they want more and more and more. And that's what the world talks about, this lust of the eyes, is I want to just look for more. And oftentimes what we want is just going to keep pulling us farther and farther away from God. So we have to ask ourselves, is our mind on the here and now, and the more and more, or is it on God and the things above and how I can please him? Is the things you want, desire, are they going to bring you closer to God? Are they going to build up the church in any way? Are they going to pull you further and further from God? The thing that you want, the house that you want, is that going to require you to work a lot more than you're working now, and this is more time you're away from your family? You're trading the permanent for the temporary. You're trading what really matters for something that doesn't really matter. And so we always have to do those things. That's what it talks about loving the world. Don't love the world. It's going to keep pulling you away from God. And last but not least is um, the pride of life. The pride of life. What would you guys think the pride of life means here? You had the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Yeah, thinking you're better than others, thinking you have more. Yeah, Sharon? Yeah, thinking you're better. What else? Arrogance. Yes, <laughs> that's very good. Actually, in the original language, um, I'm not going to try to say the word, but pride of life, it means pretentious, arrogant, glorifies yourself and your possessions. In another way, the people, like the, the Greek word here, it means pompous fool. <laughs> anybody ever know, like, somebody who might be considered a pompous fool? Or have anybody ever here ever been a pompous fool? Let's just say that. And that's probably been me before, for sure. A pompous fool says, I did it. I did it. It's all me. It's like, 
You know, you think about like every rap song that we, we probably, some of us still secretly listen to in the closet. It's like, started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> it's, it, or it's all me. I did it, it was all me. No help from anybody. No help from anybody, it's all me. And God sees that as a pompous fool. Everything you worked for is all given to you by God, right? If you worked and you say, look what I earned. God says, look who gave you the energy to do that job. Look who provided you that job. Look who gave you the strength every day. Look who helped, stopped you from buying something stupid. Everything you have is from God. And that's why I think the songs we sing that say, I need you, Lord, are not just a cry for help from somebody that's desperate. It's what we should be saying every second of every day. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. When I wake up, when I go to sleep, when things are going good, when things are going bad, our hearts cry should be, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. And I think if we are being pompous fools, we think that I need you, Lord, is something you cry out when you're really in trouble. It's like, God's like, you need me every second of the day. You just don't realize it. And I carried you through this entire life. You just don't realize it. Pride of life is just the part of the world that says, that wants to be a pompous fool. And we here need to realize that every single thing we have, even the breath in our lungs, is a gift from God, and it's awesome. And if any part of us says, Look what I did. Even look at my reputation in the church. It's good. Look at what I did. Like, even that could be pride of life being pompous. <laughs> look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And if ever we say we did it, God is angry with that, I believe. He's not happy with that. And he wants better for his children. And so it's combating that pride of life Pride of life is any status symbol that you have that is important to you or seems to define your identity. If it's important to you, if it defines your identity, if it gives you comfort and it's not God, that might be the pride of life. So when your pride is, is hurt a little bit and you go into your mind and say, well, at least I have this, that might be the status symbol that's becoming your pride of life. And I'm not saying you need to necessarily get rid of it, you need to just give God the glory for it. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if you're talking about winning a race, being excellent in, in school sports, it, uh, building up your 401k, to having a, like a good family. Like whatever it is, if we say we did it, we've just experienced pride of life and we are in danger of becoming a pompous fool. And God doesn't like that. And don't you see this in the world? The world looks at all this stuff and say, my kingdom, my kingdom, and we're all out for ourselves. And the Bible says, you need to look out for one another. And if you have room to share, you should share. If you have, a, you know, a house, the guest bedroom, you know, like we talked about somebody back there, like have a missionary over to stay in your house. If you have extra money, we should be helping those who have less. And we should be taking care of each other. And you're like, wait, that's my money. No, it's not. The money you have in your bank account has never been your money, and it's not your money. It all belongs to God. We are simply stewards of it. And as the Bible said, God in an instant could say, tonight your life is required of you. You store it up for yourself for selfish gain. God could say that at any point. 
And so we have to work hard not to be, as the Bible says, pompous fools. So in the last verse we have is 1 John 2, 17. And he, he talks about, do not love the world. This is the world. Like, this is what the world looks like. And in this verse, in John 2, 17, it says the world and its desires are all pass away. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. And so it's saying all the stuff we talked about, don't desire that, don't imitate that, don't go after that. Go after God and you will live forever. As I said, everything that we do is going to be pulling us away into the temporary. Satan is always going to have us exchange, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Satan is always going to have us exchange something valuable for something cheap, right? He's always going to have us exchange something valuable for something cheap, something true for a lie, something that's eternal for something temporary. And he's always going to have us make this exchange. It's why a man could ruin his whole family for five minutes of lust. Was it worth 10 years of marriage for five minutes of pleasure? Was the eternal, was the temporary worth the permanent? Does that make sense? And Satan is always getting us to do this, and we fall for it. And it says, the world and all its desires is eventually going to pass away, and all we're going to be left with at the end is God. So my encouragement to Jericho Road is for you guys to fix your minds on the things of God and not the things of this world. One will be gone, and if you talk to anybody here, there's probably a few people that are older than 70 here. If you talk to them, they'll all tell you the same thing. This life goes by incredibly fast. And most people here that are maybe over the age of 60 or over the age of 70 will tell you it probably felt like just yesterday we were in high school. <laughs> and by the end of our days when we're on our deathbed, I don't care if you're 100 years old, it'll feel like this and we'll step into eternity. And that's where life begins. And so we need to be focused on building up that life, storing up treasures there, and not be so consumed with the world around us here. It'll all be temporary. We, ne we, we need to be a people that are not consumed with the rat race, getting rich quick, but rather how can we please God and focusing on things that are important. Passing our faith on to our children is incredibly important. And it's not worth working overtime on Saturdays and Sundays to fund a better lifestyle when all they need for you is to be mom and dad that are there. Jesus says this, this is my last verse in Matthew 16. Uh, I think it's the next verse, guys. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. Um, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole entire world but lose your soul? Is anyone, is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus wanted to get the point that nothing on this earth is worth your soul. Nothing on this earth compares to heaven. So we need to be focusing on that and not here. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity during this last song. Um, if you feel like you've been prideful about your life and have not given God the credit 
I just want to encourage you, like, this altar space up here is open. You could bow up here and just pray to God. Um, if you feel like you've been prideful, if you feel like maybe you've been finding your identity in something other than Jesus, if you just feel like you just want to, like, come up here and just give God the glory for what you have, I'm just going to leave this space open, and we could pray to God and surrender up here as well. Okay? Let's stand as we pray and sing this last song. God, I just pray that we keep our focus on you. God, help us not trade something important for something not important. Help us not get caught up with the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and just help us live for you, God, and live for the things of you and not get caught up in this world because this world is passing away. It's temporary, but you, God, are forever. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.